work. The, so from now on, what we talk about will be shared with the rest of the church if somebody wants to download and listen to the podcast. And so um, what I thought we would do is, is um, look at a passage in Ecclesiastes. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 11. Uh, we're getting to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes in this section. And as you realize, um, Solomon has been on a pursuit here to try to find what's meaningful. And he's been coming to the conclusion that nothing is meaningful. Most of it's vanity, vanity, everything's vanity. And Solomon, in his writing, in the book of Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> talks about two ways of looking under, to looking at the world. There's life under the sun. And he says, what's good for a person to do under the sun and so when he refers to that, he's talking about a godless worldview, that everything is under the sun. But then he'll sometimes say, I'm concerned what a person should do under heaven. And so when Solomon talks that way, he's kind of talking about a view, a worldview that includes God in the picture. But it's always tricky because we don't always know in the Ecclesiastes whether it's good advice or bad advice or good advice about bad advice. It's hard to tell what Ecclesiastes is teaching us. You're not supposed to chase after women to see whether or not it's worth it. That's not good advice, even though that's exactly what Solomon did. But he did so and tells us it's not what it promised to be. It was all vanity, vanity or to seek after wealth, or to seek after fame, or accomplishment, or great projects. And so he teaches us from his experience. He said, I pursued folly even, but I kept wisdom in my mind to see what was worth doing. And in the end, he comes to the conclusion that the only thing that's worth doing is to remember your creator, and to remember that he exists and to live for him. So that's how the book ends in chapter 12. So here we are in chapter 11, and we're in a transition between what appears to be this series of texts that are confusing. Is this good news, bad news? It starts to feel like Solomon is sort of coming home and being a little bit more legit in his advice here. This is, seems to be more wisdom literature. And so starting at verse, um, uh, verse 7, he starts to kind of turn the corner and, and starts talking about, my Bible has the caption, remember your creator while you're young. And so in verse 7 and on through the beginning of chapter 12, he's talking about you should honor God while you're still young before it's too late. And so there seems to be good godly advice. And so this little passage from verse 1 through verse 6 is what I want us to look at tonight and discuss and that is to try to discern what is, what is God trying to teach us in this. What, it's possible that some of this might just be shrewd, worldly wisdom. But I think that it's more than just that. I think it's probably good wisdom. But it's also from a very realistic perspective. Very, you know, In some ways you could even say that Solomon is kind of cynical in the sense that he's not... It's not through, he's not looking at the world through rose-colored glasses anymore. He's, he's getting right down to brass tacks. What matters, what doesn't matter. So there might be a little bit of, um, is cynicism the right word to use? I think so. It might be a little bit, but maybe not. So let me read it for us. And uh, um, 
I'll make some other comments and then we'll talk about it. So, starting at verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. That's a famous verse. You've heard that, right? What's that? What's that? It's a song. What'd you say, Becky? Yes. Yes. Cast your bread upon the waters. Yep, and so that, yeah, you're, you're so good. You're giving me a segue to what I was going to wait until after I read it about. But that's a good thing because it should be obvious to us right now then that there are two very significant differences in the way chapter verse 1 and verse 2 are um, translated. The newer NIV says ship your grain across the seas. And then what is verse 2? I've got it on my phone, but... Yeah, invest in seven, yes, eight. And so the new NIV is translating as if it's a, a investment enterprise. Ship your grains across the sea, and then you don't know how it's going to come back. In a commerce, commerce kind of uh, a trade kind of way, right? And make sure that you invest in seven things, maybe eight things, because you don't know which one of them is going to, you don't know what disaster might come. So it's sort of as implying a diverse portfolio, right? Invest in oil, invest in electricity, invest in batteries, and invest in solar power. I mean, you're, you don't know which one's going to work. So that sort of is one of the ways to translate it. But the older NIV, and I think the King James, doesn't interpret it so um, commercially. It's more general. And so the old NIV says, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. That phrase is familiar, right? You've seen that, I think, even in um, secular entertainment. Cast your bread upon the waters. You know, it's, isn't that sort of like one of those God helps those who help themselves kind of popular phrase? You've heard that that way. And so it's the old idea. And, you know, it's sort of this, my mom used it in that sense is you just, you don't know what's going to happen. You just cast it out there and it might come back. So it sort of felt a little less intentional or a little less thought through as the translation that says ship your grain across the seas, you know, do commerce with foreign countries, have a high trade rate, right, is how the new translation. So the older translation is a little less trade sounding. It's a little bit more just cast your bread upon the waters, not ship your grain across the sea. So that's a big difference. Um, maybe. And so then after many days you'll find again, and then verse 2, give portions to seven, yes to eight. That's the old translation. The other one is invest in seven, yes to eight. So this is that artistic thing like we talked about last time when we were talking about the sayings of Agar. There's three things. Yeah, actually there's four things. There's four things. Oh, actually there's five. He's, this is poetic again. There's seven, then there's eight. All right, and then... Um, Verse 3, I think from here out, verse 3 through 6, the translations are pretty similar. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, you so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. 
sow your seed in the morning, and at evening do not let your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So that's the passage. Okay? And then we explained the differences in the way verses 1 and 2 are interpreted by different translations. What I would like to do is, is work through these six verses and write down what is the big idea or what is a candidate for the idea of what God is trying to teach us through this passage. So um, you don't, we don't have to write them down in order of the six verses. So what I'm asking you to do is look at those six verses and think about them a little bit and offer a suggestion for what might be, what, is, what are some thematic big ideas that, that might be wisdom for us in this passage. Okay, Phil's got a hand up. Well, in verse, at the end of verse 5, uh, there's a statement. So you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. So I think maybe the underlying thought is that God's in control. So what I wrote on the whiteboard is God is in control. And there's two things I want to point out. That's probably the best handwriting you've ever seen me ever write. And secondly, if you're on the podcast, you can't see it anyway. So I saw two other hands. Joel, I think. Yeah. Well, the first thing that popped into my head is, as Paul McCartney saying, live and let die. Just let it be. It, there, it ties into that same idea that God is in control. We're not. Hey, if the cloud is full of water, it's going to rain. If the tree falls... That's where it is. Live and let die. So live and let die. What would be a short way I could write that on a whiteboard? I, I could write it down. I know what you're saying. Is it sort of a, um, is it, what is laissez-faire? I, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I feel like kind of like the implication of both God is in control and what's going to happen is going to happen. But he seems to draw an implication of that, like, then do a bunch of things because you don't know which one God is in. You know, like, especially verse 6. So you're seen in the morning and in the evening, don't let your hands be idle. You don't know which will succeed, whether this or that, or both will do equally well. So at the end of the day, yeah, God's moving and working, but you're not sure where he's moving or working, so don't be late. Get, so get to work and hope he blesses one of those. I, I don't know if that feels cynical, but it's kind of where I'm taking it. Yeah, yeah it's, Joel says he agrees. I like that, too. It's the implication the temptation would be to be fatalistic oh well i can't do anything as you know but it's not fatalistic it's in light of the fact that we are not sure do right john i take uh, verse four as kind of a warning of those people that take a look at you know they're always watching they want to have like the perfect weather to do their farming and a good farmer never has perfect weather, and he knows that. And uh, so don't always be watching and waiting for, for things to be just right. It's time to go to work.
Yeah, that's really good, John. They, that text says that, right? To um, <clears throat> there is a temptation for people to always be waiting for perfect circumstances, right? Um, before they'll do something. So I'm going to write that down as "Do not wait for perfection." Quote well, but put quotes around it because because it, it's a there's a meaning we're saying here, right? So, because this can freeze you into inaction. If you wait until the wind is blowing exactly the right way before you ever set out, you'll never get your journey started. And so that is a dangerous thing, and it's really an excuse in a lot of ways to be lazy. And if you, if you always are watching the other things going on, you wind up not doing anything. It's really kind of a profound observation about human nature. And <clears throat> I'm ashamed to admit it probably is um, a more accurate description of me than I care to admit, right? That I would hesitate until it's just right. A lot of inaction is wrapped in what looks like prudence, and it's not, maybe. Like if a child is being disobedient. Sometimes our patience looks like the right path, but maybe we should have intervened sooner. Super hard to know. But it is possible to wait too long, right? It is possible to, and uh, if you're, yeah, there's a lot of applications. If you're, if you're waiting till the exact right time to ask her out on a date, you might never, might never ever get her, right? And so, Sue. Um, this chapter reminds me of the servant who had the talents that buried them in the ground instead of going out and investing them. And I think of verse 1 with casting your bread on the waters. It reminds me not to just hang on to something um, because I don't trust God to with the return. Yeah, that's a good connection to make. I like that. They, um, so I wrote that on the board. So the board says, now God is in control, but don't let that be a sense of fatalism, a laissez-faire, but still do something. Still get out there, and then do not wait for perfect conditions, because if you do, nothing will ever happen, and do not bury your talent. If God gives you an opportunity, the noble course isn't to bury it in the ground. It's to take some risk with it. Yeah, that's interesting. Renee. Doesn't, isn't the verse, to know to do good and not do it is sin? Okay, that, well, there must be something similar to it because it popped in my head. But um, we, are to, we are to follow God whether we know what, whether it makes sense or not, but we're supposed to, we are supposed to follow God and trust him. So you do right, and to not do right is to sin. Is that correct? If you know to do right, you know to sow your stuff, you know to um, not depend upon the weather, you know that you're supposed to depend upon God. You live your life depending upon God, and he takes care of the rest. I think it's good. Good connection. 
Other thoughts, Pat? I may be barking up the wrong tree, but verse one. <laughs> uh, don't, uh, it's about looking at the glass half full or half empty. Optimism. Verse one. Yeah. It's not foolish, according to the writer, to cast your bread on the waters. What looks like maybe wasting is not wasting. Be optimistic. I think there's a I think that's a good thing in here. And that part about the uh the the clouds that have water in them are gonna rain. Why would he say that? It's because it's just the way it works, right? And so sometimes the rain comes, sometimes it doesn't, but the clouds that have water, the rain comes. And then the part about the tree falling, where it falls, that's where, it's, that's where it fell. So it's kind of like, it's almost like since God is in control, not only don't be fatalistic, don't be so bent by it. Who, who cares? which way it fell. All right, that's what happened, go. You gotta go anyway. If you were born with a, a defect, it's sad, keep going, right? It's just, I think it's almost that kind of a, a God-centered optimism, maybe. This really connects something for me. This morning we were, in our BFG, we were talking about how when you have the wrong view of sanctification, it's easy to get your identity uh, mixed up. And we talked about um, the example that Donna gave in our um, sermon talk about when she was a missionary for a long time, that was, that was her identity. And when she realized when she retired from being a missionary that she had put too much of her identity in her ministry and then she kind of had to figure out who she was here in Michigan but because we are in Christ, like you described this morning, her mission and tasks in front of her here in America is just as important to God as what she was doing on the mission field. And what she was doing on the mission field, even though she was, which she sees with hindsight, was out of balance, God still used that because she was in Christ then. And so this um, led Marge to point out that she um, really struggled when she had to stop teaching to be a stay-at-home mom for a couple of years. And she said, you know, I, I thought I was a professor, and now I'm not. And so she had to refigure it out. And then she realized that now that she's teaching again, she realized, I thought I was giving it up forever. I was ended up just giving it for three years. And that made me think, about how we always um, are tempted or tend to view the next part of our life as a straight line projection from right where we are right now. We think whatever we're doing right now is going to be the way it is for the rest of our lives, right? Like, you know, well, I started this job, so I'm probably going to stay here for 20 years or something like that. But we don't know, like the verse says, we don't understand the work of God. We don't know where he's going necessarily and what influences he'll bring into our lives and what circumstances will cause us to change. And we can have a really 
set idea of what our future will look like, like I'm just gonna keep teaching preschool until I am 65 and then I retire and they, show, they throw me this big retirement party. Or I could have a cancer diagnosis next week. You know, you don't know what God has called you to, so do not hold too tightly to those plans and just have an open hand with what comes next. Don't put your identity in your ministry. Put it in Christ, the one thing that you know will not change because he might ask you to do a different job or have a different mission than what you expect. Yeah, that's really good. While you were speaking, I, I wrote down our identity is not subject to the changing circumstances that we're in. It ought not be, right? We don't know which thing is going to succeed as we prepare for life. If you'd have asked me when I was 17 which career path you would take, all I would tell you now is that 17-year-old didn't have any idea. <laughs> and thank goodness, right? Because if I was letting his immature perspective on the world make all the decisions for me, I would, the world he wanted is not the world I want anymore. Right? That 17-year-old was not qualified to make those calls. I'm so glad God overrode what that immature person wanted. And I would have to probably agree with the uh, assessment of the 40-year-old version of myself, too. Right? That I... I um, God is wiser than I've, he's always wiser than I am, even when I think I want things. And so that means I can be humble about my future. I don't know what my best path is now either. I can trust him to lead. Dave, you had your hand up. Uh, going back to verse one, um, remember when I was a kid, uh, I'm sure everybody here remembers the uh, singing group, Imperials. Well, they sang a song, Cast Your Bread Upon the Waters. Well, I didn't know what that meant, and I asked my dad, and he said, well, what that means, son, is um, I go to work every day to, you know, earn my pay, my bread and butter, and what that means is um, that you're, you're taking your bread or your money, and the word cast is giving freely. You don't really take a loaf of bread in each slice. You don't throw it on the water like a Frisbee. But the word cast means you give it uh, freely with joy. Bread meaning money. Um, so, and you get to verse 2. After seven, eight days, it'll find its way back to you. So, seven, eight days. We're talking like give to seven or eight ministries, you know, your local church, uh, the missionaries, uh, local Christian radio stations. Uh, and I thought that was quite a great explanation. I can't remember who that came from either. J. Vernon McGee or Chuck Missler. Um, our first date last summer, I forced Renee to listen to Chuck Missler with me. <laughs> our first date was a Bible study. <laughs> but I just wanted to share that verse 1 and 2, what that was explained to me. That's a good illustration of casting your bread on the powers and on the water, and you didn't know what would come back when, from that Bible study. So. Um, <clears throat> That is an interesting use of the word bread, like bread, like we say, like, oh, man, my pocket's full of bread. I, I guess, isn't that a, bread another word for money? But the Bible does tell us to be wise and cast our bread upon the water. But the, the wise man in Psalm 112 was known for casting, spreading his gifts to the poor. He didn't keep track of every penny. 
sometimes. So there's, there is sort of a liberal generosity component to that idea maybe then too. Steve had some more thoughts. I just noticed as I scanned through this a few more times, the, number, the repetition of the phrase, you do not know. You, know, you don't know what's gonna come back. Uh, you don't know the path of the wind. You, you can't understand um, God, the maker of all things. You don't know what's gonna succeed or what's gonna fail. So uh, there's, a, there's a fair amount of like, how do we deal with all of this uncertainty? Because um, there's, there, there, I think you said earlier too, John, we have, we're humble with our future. Like in James, you know, don't say I'm going to do this or that. Say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. So there's like this coming to grips with, hey, like, I don't know what's going to happen. And there's a lot I can't understand, but I'm going, I know that God's the maker of everything. And I know I got to get to work and we'll see where God takes it. Be all right with that. Isn't that really kind of freeing in the end, right? I mean, I don't have to sweat. Oh, no. Oh, no. If I make the wrong decision, he's, he's quit watching the wind. Quit, quit waiting for the perfect conditions. You might make a mistake. I'll, I'll, I'll turn it out for good. I'll turn it out for good. You do. I'll make things happen. Yeah, he does form the body in, a, in the womb almost out of chaos, and he knits together perfection. Becky? There's a, um, I think it's like one of those things you learn in like uh, management, like a class for management or something. But the idea of if you have two ships and they're in the, um, in the fog and they're, in, you're trying to, the two enemy ships, you're trying to attack the ship. You don't know where it is and you have one cannon, it's better to take the cannon apart and use the, I don't know enough about cannons for this analogy, but you know, it's like buckshot, you know, you just need a lot of data, you know, a lot of feedback about where the ship is that would be more important than doing one perfect can. So the idea is, though, if we know that God's our maker and we just need to get to work, I mean, we know from, ex if you have experience, you know from it that you had a really bad vision at the beginning. You needed a lot more data to know what would be the best way to do it. And so I think sometimes we can get caught up trying to figure out what our vision is even personally but like in a ministry context or for the church like what we what we need to do in 10 years and five years you have no idea like try doing Sunday school this week and I bet you'll have a different idea of how to do it better next time at least I always do like sometimes my brother says he wants to plan like a six-year curriculum I'm like I have never repeated a year yet because I never liked it good enough. You know, like you always have to go back through and make it better. And so I think that there's wisdom in that recognizing that you just need to get into it and see what you learn and what God wants you to do next, one step at a time. Good, a lot of things in there. Um, it doesn't mean you never plan. It just means that you can turn your plans over to the Lord and trust him and, 
and don't sweat it that it didn't come out. Because sometimes that is one of my other problems is I'm a control freak, right? And if I make a plan a certain way and you don't line up with my plan, now instead of being my friends or my, um, my ministry assignment, you wind up being obstacles because I'm thinking of it the wrong way. That's not right either. I need to let the feedback loop tell me things. So it's okay to adjust. It's okay to be flexible. Maybe that's a big part of it, right? It's okay to be flexible. It's wise to be flexible and to have multiple things going on and to work hard, right? He says you plant your seed in the morning and at night you're not resting. You don't know. You might need to do so your hands are not idle. So use your time wisely. You don't know what's going on. So these are good wisdom. I wanted to convert, uh, change the question a little bit, and Becky sort of opened the door to it a little bit. What, is, what does this teach us as a church? How would you apply this to a church, to our church future? How is it for a church? Becky made a good point that, that having a real strict plan and a real precise future sounds like it would solve problems, but it might not. Uh, Phil had his hand first. Well, I think there's, you know, we can't sit here and say necessarily say that, okay, these are the things that God wants us to do in the future. There's just a wide range. There's a a wide range of ministries and service opportunities that uh, <clears throat> that are available to us to take advantage of. It's interesting that the only, you get down to verse 9, and the only thing that says, as far as knowing, it, <laughs> near the end of the chapter says, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So there's a wide range of things for us to do, a wide range of ministries, but we just need to be mindful that we're just not acting on our own and going our own way. God's going to hold us accountable. The absence of data or the absence of a clear vision doesn't excuse doing wrong, right? We can't be irresponsible. Well, we don't know what's going to happen anyway. Let's just light fires in, in the auditorium. You know, you, don't, you can't do foolish things. Right? So it's not an excuse to be foolish. It's an encouragement to be industrious. Larry, you had your hand up too. Well, similar as it, as it applies to the church, we've always wanted to have an impact in our community. We're a Wyoming Park Church, a fellowship. And so we opened our doors to this opportunity for this other ministry. Now the future of that, and not, I don't want to, the future of that looks like it, it could be morphing. And that's okay. Um, it, it, we, like you said, we can't just say, oh, now it's an obstacle. My plans, it's not going the way I planned. It's still God's will that we are a testimony to this community we just have to adapt with the wind how it's going to work. It is encouraging when you look out the back window how God has led us as a congregation, as a church for these, how old are we, Becky, 90 almost now or 100? 1929, so, um, so yeah, almost 95. And so the, um, things that have gone well that we never planned for and and you don't you don't get it always surprises me who comes <laughs> you know why would they come and 
it's just God leading, and so that's good. Any um, any other thoughts about the church particularly? And then I have one more a closing question. Well, in, in thinking about a, a couple of things in there, one of them was mentioned uh, about that we can think of bread as also money, or you can also think of it as was also brought up there, our talents. And uh, what is the mission of the church? And that is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we want to be doing and thinking about that is casting casting the gospel of Christ out into our community and, and also in that, that again, we don't wait for, if there's something we think that could be done, we don't want to wait for the perfect timing. You know, we don't want to think because if you wait for the perfect timing, it may come and go before you see it. And so you just, you, you pick your time and you go with it. Yeah, our evangelistic ministry as a church is to cast the gospel out, right? The, the sower went out to sow, and he threw his seeds, and, and and the Bible tells us clearly God makes it grow. You know, different people water, and different people harvest. And, well, good. My last question in our last minute is, so this will preach. You guys have really developed a good sermon here. How would you bring the gospel into it? How would you, how does Jesus show this one how does this show Jesus how do we get back to that center foundation of the Lord Jesus I guess I would say like this passage teaches um, work but don't worry so much about your work because God is in control, but be industrious. Well, the gospel says the same thing. We didn't earn our salvation. Jesus did it all. So we can have a confidence and a release from the pressure to try and do it all. We don't have to climb a ladder, uh, chase after the sun or after the wind. Jesus did it already. So the pressure's off. We won. We're, we have success. Now we just get to go do for Jesus, for the sake of just being industrious, for the sake of Jesus, without, I don't know, without pressure. I think that's a big part right there, the freedom we have to know that Jesus is in control and he's, he's producing in our lives fruit and we just need to be optimistic about his work Right? and not wait for the perfect time to learn how to do something. Just trust him to lead us and, and to live, live our lives for him. And remember that our identity is not subject to the changing circumstances we're in. Our identity is in Christ. We belong to Jesus, and he's the one who's making us beautiful. So we don't, we don't know how he's doing it, but we can trust him and in, in some ways, I was going to ask you, um, Jesus in some ways kind of lived this way, I think, too. Is that what you were going to say? He alludes to this passage in John 3. Yeah, John, Jesus alludes to this in John 3, talking to Nicodemus. We don't know where the wind goes. We don't know how the spirit moves, but he, he does. And, and I think you could, 
I th- we, you know, we see Jesus as as he moved and went about in his ministry. He was intentional. We have to go to this city. We have to keep preaching the gospel. But he just stayed on mission, and God kind of guided it. I don't think that Jesus knew every moment in advance what was going to happen. God led him to the woman at the well. God led him to that event with Nicodemus, and God led him to these opportunities. And he went out and prayed before he called his disciples. And so, in a sense, Jesus lived this way, right? His identity was not subject to the changing circumstances around him. He didn't wait. He just obeyed the Father and trusted the Father, and he said, I always do what the Father tells me. And so in a lot of ways, Jesus totally obeyed the Father and lived in this poised, I'm okay with how it's going way. And I think we can live that way too. All right? Um, Doug, would you close in prayer for us? Lord, we do thank you that you are in control and that we can we can rely on you in, in every situation. And Lord, I ask that as your people, we would submit to your leading and in your great love for us, that we would know that you are our God and that, uh, that you have our best interest and you have our, our care already taken care of. So Lord, thank you that, uh, we get to sit down, we get to talk, we get to uh, hear from you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to lead us as, as we search what you have for us. Lord, help us to be doers and follow you wherever you take us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Very good. Thank you all. You're dismissed. <laughs>